If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Genesis chapter 1. As we continue in our sermon series, looking at the gospel according to Genesis. And I really do hope that you've seen that even this far. I know that we're only in chapter 1, and next week we'll be finishing that off, chapter 1. But it's rich with the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, as it points to Christ um, and our desperate need for that. And as you turn there, um, what makes a house a home? Not too long ago, uh, my parents had the audacity of selling my childhood home. I know, it's, you feel my pain. Um, but it's funny, as we were helping, as my, I had three younger sisters, as we were helping them move out of the house and we began to take everything out to the house, it didn't feel like that home anymore. It just was a building, it was a house. It didn't, it didn't contain the people nor the things that made, me, uh, made it a home for me even growing up. We've all had that situation in our lives before and our, in our, as we've gone on in our lives. It no longer, uh, and that those homes often no longer hold the stories of what was in that home the type of people that were there. So what makes a house a home is what really fills it. It's the people, it's the items, it's that old couch that you jumped off of and maybe broke your arm or whatever it may be. And just as much as how a house reflects the owner, creation reflects its creator, we see even more of that reflection as we look at what God begins to fill creation with. So God comes and he begins to fill the earth with all sorts of wonderful living creatures. And he begins to fill the earth with all these things that lead to the pinnacle of his creation. So if you open your Bibles, we're in Genesis 1, which is the very first book of the Bible. I'm going to be reading from verses 20 to 31 because it kind of completes the thought, but don't miss the points of the sermon slide here, we're only going to 26. So if someone comes up to me after and says, well, you didn't finish like I did last week, that's why, okay? The word of the Lord says this in verse 20. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and even living and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the sea, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there, and there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw it was good. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In, his, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and of, over the birds, over the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, as we come to continue in our worship of you, we pray that you are indeed glorified and made much of in this. May we worship you in our listening. May I worship you in, our, in my preaching. May we make much of you together in all of these things as we reflect upon how you are the creator of the universe. And Lord, there is no way that I can do this on my own, so will you not make this turn out well? Lord, by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Please use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. Amen. Now we're nearing the end of God creating the heavens and the earth and everything in between. In these last two days, we see that God is finishing what he created. And just as a reminder, the idea of day is often discussed and Many like-minded like people have a different view of what that day means, even within the idea of creationism. But regardless of your view on how old the earth is, the point is this, God created it. By his word, simply speaking, he created it. And we see this again in verse 20. And God said, he gives this command for two spots that he had previously created, the waters and the expanse, to begin to be filled on this second day. And he gives a command, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And you can just imagine <clears throat> the picture of what is happening as everything begins to be filled. These are the creatures that will fill the spots that God had created. He is beginning to fill the house with life, teeming with life. That's what swarms means, right? Like, we usually use swarms in a negative way. If you walked into a swarms of bees, does that mean one bee or a whole lot of bees that you need to run away from? Swarms means that the waters were instantly filled with the tons of animals. Unlike the plants that can't move, the land and the sea and the air are teeming with life that are bouncing and moving around. And God comes and fills the waters with an incredible variety of creatures, all coming from one simple command. I say simple, but last I checked, I can't say that and something happened. All of this abundance filling the earth. You know, like we're still discovering new sea life. And I've talked about this in a previous sermon. Like we haven't even gotten to the bottom of the sea yet. And every time we get lower, we find something new. And it's absolutely amazing to me. And how God spoke into being all of these things. Living creatures, they are 
different than the life that was created with the plants because they are creatures that have the ability to roam. They're not tied by roots. They can even think for themselves. If you have an animal, I swear sometimes our animals, our pets at home, think, I'm going to bug my owner today. And you all know that's true. I'm going to chew that wire today. Why? Because I know you like it. I don't have that problem because I have a dog. Only cat people have that problem. I want you to dwell on what this is showing about who God is. He creates life. Does this not also show that God is a living God who has infinite power and infinite genius? So it really begs a question as we even look at just this part. Who are you resting in today? Are you resting in your ability to do absolutely nothing? Or are you resting in the one who created all things? What does your life look like as you're resting in him? You know, as a family, we just read Job 38, 39. And I can't get my mind off of that. Now, don't ever do this. But if you even take it out of the context of what it's talking about and just dwell upon what 38 and 39 is saying, it's just a series of questions. Where were you? Have you known? Do you know where, how this happens? How Do you know when the deer gives birth to the fawn? Do you know? And God simply says, I do. I do. Creation shows the very character of who God is. And as, and as he's... As God is giving these rhetorical questions to Job, Job is reminded of the very person that he can be trusting in during an unbelievably painful time. And I also love the order that is given here. There's, there's, it's organized, and it makes sense, right? Like, how often, you know, you know I've, sometimes I like to watch these renovation shows, right? Like on YouTube now, because who does HDTV anymore? You know, there was this one where they're, renov- they're renovating this old chateau in France. And I'm like, okay, so they're digging things out, they're cleaning it up, and then they're building things and making walls and all these things. And I'm like, and then they have to tear down the walls that they began because they didn't do it in the right order. And I'm going, even as humans, we can't even figure out the right order of doing things. So when we come and go, yeah, that's obvious, come on. I'm like, no, it's not. Right? How many of us have renovated a house and had to go back and redo something because we did it wrong. I have. But God does it all in order, and it makes sense. It's important to keep in mind because God is a God of order. He doesn't create chaos. He doesn't create the living creatures without first creating the things that will sustain the living creatures. And I think if we were in charge of it, we probably would. Because again, we can't even renovate a house in order. And that's important as we begin to see the tension that is growing within the narrative because the world often feels like it's upside down, not what we see here. And even so, God is still sovereign over it all and will one day make it right again. So in verse 21, sorry, we see that God created. He created is the same word that we see all the way back in Genesis 1 verse 1. It is a word that is only reserved for God. Anytime we see this word used throughout the Old Testament, it's always used with the subject of God, meaning that God is the only one that can do this. 
He is the only one who can create in this way. I heard a, a joke from a comedian the other day who, who was talking about um, a, how humanity suddenly had a conversation with God and we said, we could figure it out. We figured out how to create. We figured out how to create life as they're having this conversation with God. So they take some dirt from the ground and all God says is, nope, that's mine. We can't create squat. Even when we say the word create, is not what God is doing here. Out of nothing, he creates. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think of Isaiah 40, verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. That's what creation points to. The living creatures are something that are being created that did not exist before. And the great sea creatures, and this word can talk about a giant sea animal, it can talk about giant snakes, you know, if you love that idea, or great serpents. In Jeremiah 51, the word is translated as monsters. And I think it's important to have a clear understanding of what is happening here, because context is important. You can't understand what God is saying unless you put it in the context of everything. And part of context is also historical context. So it's important to understand. And in Canaanite mythology, there is this idea, uh, Canaanite, Canaan was the land that Israel was about to go into. The land that God promised is the promised land. In Canaanite mythology, there was a serpent, a giant sea creature, a monster that was the enemy of the chief God. Now, if Moses is referencing this in that use of that word, which we don't know for sure, but if, what he begins to say is that God is even sovereign over the sea and the monster that is in there that keeps trying to undermine this chief God. The most dangerous monster that could be thought of in the world at that time, God created it. He's not an enemy of God. He is a creation of God. In Psalm 148, verse 7, Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all deeps. So unlike the mythology of the time, these animals aren't in rebellion against God. He is sovereign over them because he created them. But he also created them according to their kinds. And I want to take some time to talk about this in a little bit. Because we do live in a world which would argue against this. And I want to make it a point to say, without taking, uh, belaboring it and taking forever to explain it, that scientifically speaking, this is possible. Science and, and theology aren't at odds with one another. And God created the things that were in the sea and the things that are in the air according to their type. That's really what that word means, type. And we understand scientifically that reproduction is only possible within the fixed boundaries that God created. It cannot take place outside of those boundaries. So again, notice how I haven't talked about time periods and all that stuff. We're talking about God creating according to their kinds. So when we look out, and science is about observation, right? That's one of the scientific methods. You can't deny scientific method because we all grew up on it anyways, right? You make a hypothesis, and what do you do? You go out and prove it by observing those things. 
We see it all the time. We don't see a cat dog creator, right? <laughs> I don't even know how that would work. Uh, would it have like major internal issues of dislike? I don't know. But we see this every day. Every day. We, don't see cro- we only see cross-feeding according to a basic type. So an embryo has the hereditary characteristics of both parents no matter what happens. If suddenly we had a, a uh, I don't know, a, a uh, stork egg and a stork egg or uh, an egg hatched and suddenly it was a stork and it was in an eagle's nest, we're not going to think, oh, there must have been some sort of mutation that happened. Maybe there was a mix-up, like in the incubator of life. You know, plants and animals were created to reproduce within the boundaries of their kind when God said, according to their kinds. And I want you to understand that. I'm not here to argue with you. If you disagree with me, that is fine. But I think that the word of God says something specific, and I do know that science reinforces it. Okay? And we could talk about that all day long. In fact, Pastor Chris loves to talk about that. I just threw him under the bus. So, for example, you don't see a dog-cat breed. You don't see a horse-cow breed. That'd be interesting. Do you eat it? I don't don't know. When we think of kinds, we are talking about things that can breed together. And that's what God says. When he created kinds, that's what we're talking about. So before someone says, oh, I disagree, I'm like, well, let's all think about this, that we're all saying that all of our thoughts are theories which means by definition that a theory must be held lightly. Theory doesn't become fact unless it's proven, right? So I will even concede that my point is a theory. But all of our theories, if we're people of God, have to go through the grid of the Bible. And I would say science proves it. So there was actually a, uh, uh, an evolutionary biologist that said this, the identical replication of the genes guarantees the cons- constant consistency sorry, of genetic information. Roughly speaking, this replication is responsible for the phenomenon, I don't know why he uses the word phenomenon, probably because he hasn't figured it out yet that God created kinds, that storks always hatch from stork eggs. Mic drop. with all the characteristics of this kind of bird. It's funny how science, when they take God out of the equation, keep trying to fill a hole that God has already filled. Science and Bible are not against each other. They are not. There's no example of something more complicated coming from something complicated. It's like thinking that a simple construction plan can somehow turn into a more complex plan. And I think sometimes, actually, we do this a lot. We, we talk what we think something is happening or supposed to be, and then we apply it to God's word. But we need to understand that we should have a worldview that is rooted through the Bible. That's what's called a biblical worldview. Science and the Bible aren't at odds. It's just a matter of who you are choosing to listen to. And I have a couple of books about this. Uh, I know Pastor Chris has a lot more than a couple of books on this. I think he's on like a whole shelf. And I'd love to sit down and discuss it with you. 
And I, I like sci-fi. I love sci-fi movies. I still remember one of the first movies I watched, which I should not have watched, was in 1986, a movie called The Fly. I know. And if you've watched it, you're like, yeah, you shouldn't have watched that. No, I know I shouldn't have watched it. But the whole concept was that somehow a fly got into this contraption, and suddenly through mutation, there's a fly man. And I get it. It's entertaining. But we don't even see that in our world now, ever. So God created the original kinds with the ability to diversify into what I would say are called races. And God saw that it was good. And as God blesses his creation, he steps back and, and he sees how it, it shows the rich and delightful diversity of all he created. And what we see is how God creates all he does, uh, all he does and, it, and it, he, he gives it a richness and abundance to reproduce and to multiply. And God saw that it was good that the world he created, the house is being filled. There's so much abundance. There was a NASA article back in 2016 that actually talked about how the earth is getting greener. This is NASA. They're right all the time, right? That over the last 35 years has gotten greener. And I just think of the abundance of God's creation. And when God saw that it was good, he saw I got, we see a God who delights in what he has made from the things that fill the earth and the sky. He delights and he governs over it all, and God blesses them. And for the first time, we see God blessing his creation. And there's a unique thing that is happening here because God commands him to be fruitful and to multiply, which means, yes, he did fill it with swarms, but the whole earth had not been filled yet. And he commands him, now go continue this on. But he blesses them with the ability to do that as they continue to do that. And I think how often we look at God's commands and go, man, I don't know how I'm going to fulfill that. Like, God has not enabled us to actually do those things. What type of sadistic God do we believe in if we think that? If God commands something, he also enables us to follow through with it. That's ultimately shown through Jesus Christ. And there, were, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And to stand in the midst of this is to see the absolute grandeur of this. With the waters filled and the air filled with living creatures, I could just imagine just standing there like it's quiet. Imagine how quiet it would have been on day four. And then all of a sudden, hey, you get pooped on because I've been pooped on by a seagull. And noisy, just filled with life, right? I love a house, I love a church that's filled with life. Crying babies and children running around like they're gonna sack someone on a walker or whatever it may be, I think is a beautiful thing. Because it's life. And we see God doing that on day five. But day six comes, and God has just filled the waters and the air with living things, but he's not done yet as he begins to fill the earth, the land, in verse 24 to 25. And God said, and God is the one who commands this to happen, but there's creatures 
these are creatures from the land. It's almost like they belong to the land. And God creates in three categories. Livestock, which is another, the root word for this is dumb. <laughs> I got one laugh. Which are animals that help humanity cultivate the land. So think like ox, cows, and horses, and stuff like that. They help plow the fields. And creeping things, which is every little girl's wonderful category. You know, parents, if it's a great thing to sit there and, and, you know, like my daughters hate snakes, hate them with a passion, like they think they should all die. Um, and I know they're not alone, right? And, I, and what an opportunity it is to come and sit with our kids and be like, did you know that God even created that? I know you hate it, but God even created that. The mice, if you've ever had a mouse in your house and you see the, like, bur- the poop all over and you're like, I need to bleach the whole house. Wall, ceiling, food, gone. God created that too. All the creeping things. Those centipedes that are, look like they belong in hell, God created that too. All of the creeping things. The third category is the beasts of the earth. And these are the wild animals. These are the lions and the, and the bears. I was about to sing the... Uh, that's it. Yeah. And animals that are tamed and, domest- and not domesticated. These were the animals that were free to roam. And again, and Pastor Chris will get into this next week, what's interesting is that at the beginning of the time, they were even created to simply eat vegetables, which I'm staunchly against just eating vegetables. But I'll allow Pastor Chris to talk about that. Again, all created according to their kinds. As main groups of animals. Like dog types. Like we have coyotes in this area. Right? And we have my dog at home. They all come from the same root. They can even breed together. It would be a weird looking animal. uh, Because mine's a labradoodle. Um, Some sort of poofy... Anyways, I don't know. But there's no randomness in God's creation. These are products of God's creation, design, and powerful creation. And these kinds will reproduce according to God's design and continue to fill the plants he created. Up to this point, God was making the earth, the house, to be a home. And God made the plants to have breathable air and water and lands and plants for food and light for all of this purpose, to have life. Because God is a God of order. And with all of this diversity and vibrancy that came on that day, there's still one last creature that will be above all other creatures, above all creation. And that's when we get to verse 26. And then God said. God gives the command, but there's something different about this one. There's something unique. There's something personal. And in verse 27 it uses that same word used in verse 1 and, and in verse 21. And, and, and even though humanity is categorically different, 
a different kind. Humanity is like other living creatures at the same time. And a few things we see within this narrative. Humanity is created on the sixth day like all of the other creatures. Humanity eats the same food. And we even see later on that he blesses humanity with the blessing and command to be fruitful and to multiply. But humanity is different because there's a special relationship between God and humanity, as we see here, which we see, let us make man, humanity, in our image. No other creation has that category. We are different and unique. James Boyce says, humanity is the peak of creation. Moreover, from this point on, the story of Genesis is the story of man in rebellion against God, but also the subject of his special love and redemption. So unlike the animals, humanity is created to have a relationship with God. That's what we were created for. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But who is this us in this passage? This is a contentious subject, by the way. And you're all wrong, except for me. I know. But there are a few ways of interpreting it. There's three. The first one is it's viewed as the Trinity. The doctrine that states that there is one God and three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the outcome of this, the, the disagreement with this is, well, the Hebrews would not have known that. And my argument would be, well, We all know that the New Testament interprets the Old, so I don't care. Some talk about the plurality of the majesty of God, like we see in Genesis 1, verse 1. And some think it has to do with the angelic courts, like we see in Isaiah 6, verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. I personally think it's hinting towards the Trinity. I think God is calling to himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're having a conversation. Some would say that, the, as I said, that the Hebrews wouldn't have gotten this, but I disagree. Not that they wouldn't have understood that, but that that's a point to argue against. See, nothing else creates except God. We know this. So when God says, let us create them in our image, who is he talking about? He's not talking about the angelic courts because angels aren't, uh, doing, we're not created in the image of angels, we're created in the image of God. And there's a big theological understanding to knowing this as we are created in the image of God because we see how sin perverted that image, but how God came to restore that. But what does it mean to be made in our image after our likeness? What does that mean? And Pastor Chris is going to have the blessing of being able to unpack this even more. But it's showing that there's a personal relationship that is happening here. It's a relationship that is unique. It is different from all other creation. And all other parts of what God created. Humanity, men and women and all ethnicities were created to reflect the image of God. This is done as God creates humanity holy. 
We see this in Ephesians, the ability to obey God, like we see in Colossians 3, to use language, to be creative. Have you ever thought, as you were making something, that as you do that, you're reflecting the character of God, who's the ultimate creator? As you sing songs, or do songwriting, or make poetry, or write, or play, or build, whatever it may be, using your imagination. Is reflecting who our God is. It's amazing how we can take the very things that are supposed to be used to reflect God and take glory away from the one that we were created to reflect. We create something and look, look what I did. We can worship with our creativity. I firmly believe that. If you're a painter, you can worship. If you're a computer coder, you can worship. If you are a game designer, sure. If you are a writer or a, uh, uh, an actor or whatever it is, I don't care who you are, at some point you enjoy doing something, okay? If someone comes to me and says, I just don't know what I'm good at, start with what, you're, what you like to do. Yeah. <laughs> Some people think they're good at eating. Do that, eating and drinking for the glory of God, as Paul says. But we were created to reflect our creator as people who have dominion, ruling all that God has created, making us stewards of what he has given. Just like benevolent kings, God has given humanity the command to rule. And image and likeness and dominion are things that we'll be talking about next week. And being human means we have a personhood, we have a soul, we have a relationship. Both men and women are created equal in the image of God. And we all come from two people, Adam and Eve. Paul says this in Acts 17, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having deter determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Meaning that there is only one race with all sorts of different ethnicities, by the way. Meaning that to suggest that people are essentially different based upon their race or class is not what God's word says. And I've appreciated people like Vudi Bachman, who's the Dean of Theology at African Christian University in Zambia, who's written upon on this extensively. He has a book called Fault Lines. But the point is this. What we see God has done in creating humanity in his own image and likeness to have dominion over creation is not what we see now done the way that God originally created there has been some sort of distortion that has happened, and that distortion is sin. Sin has perverted that image. No longer do we reflect our creator as we were created for. Humanity failed because of sin and corruption and rebellion to fulfill our image-bearing responsibilities. We have sinned, we have rebelled, we are broken, and because of that, we no longer can reflect the God who created us in the way that we were created for. Can we still? Yes. But it's more like a broken mirror. Not a perfect mirror. And because of that sin and that rebellion, we are deserving of one thing and one thing only, and that is hell. 
But the good news doesn't end there because everyone who repents and acknowledges that God is right and we are wrong and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and that his death was sufficient to pay the price for our sins will be saved. And through that, we are a new creation that begins to reflect the glory of God more and better. And it's only because of what he has done. As Jesus fulfills the God's image-bearing purposes perfectly, we are clothed in the righteousness of his Son, as Romans 8, 29 says. So are you wandering this earth, wander, wondering what your purpose is in life? Wandering what will fill the emptiness you feel, wondering what will heal your brokenness, wondering how you can have forgiveness and reconciliation with the one who, by the word, spoke into being all things, the one who created you as part of his unique creation. It is through repentance and belief in Jesus Christ, who died for your sins and rose again. It is through him that we are united to him and once again become image bearers. Carl Sagan, in his book called The Pale Blue Dot, said this about the earth and humanity as he observed the pale blue dots of earth taken billions of kilometers away with the Voyager spacecraft. He says this, Our posturing, our imagined self-importance, the delusion." that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this point of pale light. I read that, and I thought, wow, that's depressing. I don't know how he died, but I don't think he was a joyful person. And that's not what Genesis 1 is saying. Because in verse 26, you see the climax of God's creation. Humanity isn't just another creature, but we have been made in the image of God himself. Francis Schaeffer put it this way in his book called Genesis in Space. In his own naturalistic theories, with an evolutionary concept of a mechanical chance parade from the atom to man, man has lost his unique identity. As he looks out upon the world, as he faces the machine, he cannot tell himself from what he faces. He cannot distinguish himself from other creations. And this creates a huge problem. When we lose sight that we were created in the image of God, we lose a big thing. We're losing our identity. In 2021, okay, 87,485 and I don't know why the five gets me more than the other ones, but it does. Babies were killed in Canada in 2021. We're not talking about exceptions like ectopic pregnancies, okay? Like, let's take that aside. We're talking about unwanted babies. Babies that weren't wanted. 80, over 87,000. And I understand that we need to also preach that there is forgiveness and grace, and there is so much grace. But we're talking about the unwanted babies, babies that were inconvenienced. How can babies be unwanted unless they are not seen as fearfully and wonderfully knitted in their mother's womb? The church that believes that humanity is made in the image of God should be crying to those mothers who find themselves between a rock and a hard place, we'll take them. 
will take him. To those selfish parents, point to the selfless Savior. To the fathers who refuse to step up and be a man, punch them first and then tell them the gospel. I'm joking. Kind of. A church that believes there should be, they they should have tear-filled eyes. Say to these people, let's figure this out together. Why? Because we believe that there is value and dignity as one who is created in the image of God from the beginning to the end of life. Humanity is unique in God's creation. And I understand this is a deeply complicated subject. And don't hear condemnation. God is gracious and merciful. And we need to express that ourselves. But we do need to understand what it means to be created in the image of God and the ramifications of that in our own personal lives and how we see our current culture. When we look at history, we see how every culture is guilty of mistreating other humans. And it's rooted in the denial of this doctrine of the image of God. It's not just the beginning of life, though. In Canada, you can now kill yourself through medically induced suicide. A CBC article said that MAID jumped 30% in 2022. 30%. Over 10,000 people died in 2021. So that means 13,000 people decided to take their own life. I had a phone call a few months ago from a man who wanted to sit down and talk about this because he had emphatically chosen to go through with me. And I understand that I can't do anything to change someone's mind on these things. But I hope to sit down with him so I can just point to his value and dignity as a human being created in the image of God and that God loves him and that there's a purpose in suffering and all of these things. And I wanted to try and tell him these things. And here we are, a few months later, he never called back. Brothers and sisters, we have the truth. That all were made in the image and likeness of our holy God. And I can't tell you how important it is for you to understand where your identity is. It is not in who you are or what you do or whatever happened in your life. On what type of value you bring to culture. I think it was Iceland not, not, not too long ago that was bragging in the news that they had no Down syndrome babies. And I said, how in the world is that even possible? I know how it's possible. We need to go and tell a desperate world that we are made in the image of God, and with that comes dignity and value and established in the very foundations of the world. And that through Christ, you can have a sense of identity that is restored. You ever wonder why we treat people like less than? Because of this. All humanity is made in the image and likeness of God. That brings value and dignity. And let us declare that that can be found in Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose from the dead. So what? God fills a house to make a home. That home reflects who God is. And just as a home that is made, a, a house is made a home and what is filled with reflects the owner, so does here. And we see this in the pinnacle of God's creation. 
Creation reflects the character of God that man is to reflect, that humanity is to reflect. And we see here that humanity is created in the image of God, and this includes the characteristics such as rationality and and moral responsibility and creativity and relational capacity. And the idea is that humans reflect God's attributes in these ways because we were created to glorify and enjoy a relationship with him forever. God fills the world with all sorts of wonderful, beautiful, created things. The platypus is a funny-looking animal, but it's beautiful. He created humanity to rule over it, to be under shepherds. Sin broke that. But through Jesus' death and resurrection, all those who have faith in him can have their image restored. You know, this will ultimately be dealt with when he comes back. And I pray that you've made yourself right before he comes back. And as we reflect on upon creation, we see God's worth, his works. We can pray that our hearts are captivated rather than by our circumstances, but by the works and worth of our God when we are in Christ. Creation reflects the character of God that man is to reflect. Let us continue to worship our awesome, awesome, awesome God. Lord, we just come together to continue to worship you. Lord, we thank you for what we see in your word and how you created. By your word, you created. And I pray that as we dwell upon those things that we will see that we can rest secure in who you are, knowing that you're in control of all things. Uh, Lord, as we think and dwell upon how you created uh, humanity in your image, I pray that that would uh, help us to see how Uh, We have value and dignity, but that we wouldn't just sit here all comfortable, but go out into this world seeking to declare the good news of Jesus Christ so others may see that. So, Lord, I pray that you would use our church. May our witness be faithful and effective. May our kingdom grow. Amen.